Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. This is episode 79, Maintaining a Positive Learning Environment, How to Foster Non-Divisiveness in the Classroom While Allowing Students a Chance to Call One Another Out. This question was brought up to us by some listeners. In previous episodes, Adam and I have discussed when it's appropriate for you as a teacher or as a professor to call students out for hurtful comments and how to turn those into teachable moments. But what about students? Should they be calling one another out? What are the limits that we should consider? Adam and I have been really, really fortunate in that we really haven't experienced a lot of divisiveness in our classes. But this is a frequent enough occurrence in other classes that students felt it worthwhile to ask us to devote an episode to. Now, depending on the topic that you teach and the students that you have, some classes may be more controversial than others. For example, I teach a deviant behavior class quite often, and although the topics are interesting to the students, I also see a lot of student discomfort with these topics because they really force students to look at things that are outside their lived experience, things that they have never considered were what people do. I've also had students in criminology classes literally refuse to hear the data on police as a problem rather than the solution because some of these students are current or former law enforcement officers and hearing that police do an awful lot of bad things and are part of the problem, they don't want to hear that. They feel like it's an attack on their identity. I had a student who was um, a fundamentalist Christian too. And he came to class and every day there was a t-shirt that said washed in the blood of the lamb or something like that. And he was a nice kid, but he didn't seem to understand that his shirts were really making the other students uncomfortable. And the fact that he was loud probably didn't help. Now I teach a lot of criminology classes and deviant behavior and even law classes. And I love them uh, because part of the topics that we talk about can really get some passionate debates in the classroom. Is the death penalty actually an effective deterrent for uh, murder? Fun fact, it is not. But it's fun to hear the students really get engaged and then we have a really good discussion in class because I get to see how my students think about a topic and I get to ask my students about or I get to show them rather how race and the law intersect, how they're tied up, how wealth and the law are tied up. And these are issues that my students see every day in their lives because most of my students are first generation uh, Hispanic and Latino, and they deal with law enforcement every day in their lives. They see poverty firsthand. They see what it's like to receive the short end of the stick when it comes to law enforcement. And sometimes, because of the nature of these classes, a student says something so inflammatory or so off the mark that their own classmates start calling them out. And as the professor, how do I have as the and as the professor, how do I keep that situation from becoming a cage match? 
I don't want my class to be hell in a cell. I want my students to be learning here. Now, one way is to have very clear expectations of what's allowed in the classroom. So I'll tell my students, you can critique arguments, you can critique any of the material that we're talking about, as long as you bring in evidence that shows us otherwise. You don't get to bash a person, you don't get to just call a person a dumbass or an idiot because that's not gonna explain why you're disagreeing with them. It's not gonna show them why they're wrong. It's just gonna make them more entrenched in their views and they're going to view you as hostile. Nothing is gonna move forward. Now, if students don't feel comfortable with calling one another out in class, but they do tell you either in person or via email, hey, this thing that happened in class, I was really uncomfortable with it. Use that to open a future class meeting. We had a discussion here about this topic and I got some emails from folks saying, so what do you all think about this? And that opens the door for students to have their voices heard, which when we're talking about engagement is really, really important. And it doesn't matter whether that question happens during an in-person class, which right now because of COVID we can't have, or if it happens during a live video class, or if it happens in a discussion board, it's still an important discussion to be having. So allow the students to make mistakes, allow them to call each other out, but make sure that respect is maintained because the freedom to learn and grow includes making mistakes and being corrected on them. But it doesn't allow for bullying. When we get into bullying people, we have gone to a place where learning isn't going to happen. People are going to shut down. As Denor said, they're going to double down on what they believe, and they're not going to listen to, ex you know, to, um, to contradictory evidence because they are married to that belief. They want that belief to be true. So when I've seen students call each other out, like Denor said, you know, at the beginning of this episode. We haven't had a lot of experience of these really, really heated discussions where they turn into screaming matches. And usually what I've seen is within groups. I've seen, for example, I had one African-American student come to office hours and tell me that she and her black female classmates usually felt really responsible for making the boys, meaning their black male classmates, see why the work that we were doing was important or why it was relevant. And the call-outs were often not things like, you idiot, or you're wrong, or you offended me, so much as, man, you need to get your act together, or you need to stop being so ignorant and resistant and look at what we're learning here. And these would often develop into whole student groups just discussing how to do an assignment or how to understand the material or how to connect it to their lives, but it was largely collaborative. However, <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, Denor as well, we can say there were exceptions. There were times things got really uncomfortably heated. Yeah, I remember teaching, uh, it was either deviant behavior or sociology of law. This was several years ago, and there was a news story at the time. There were three rival motorcycle clubs that had a standoff uh, either with each other or with police in Texas. And there was a news photo and it really stood out to me. There was a white deputy. He had his back turned to a group of bikers that he's detained according to the caption. But none of the bikers is handcuffed. They're not zip tied. Some of them even have their cell phones out and they're looking at it. And I remember talking about this story because all of the bikers were white. The deputy has his weapon pointed away from them. It's pointed to the ground. And I told my students that we are seeing differences in policing along racial lines. One of my students in that class said, 
oh, I'm from this town where the standoff happened. And this really wasn't a race thing. This is just how policing is done in small town Texas. A lot of my students are first, were first generation Latino and they gave a weird look, but there was nothing that I could really hear. And so I told my students, hey, my gangbanging days are long over, but uh, if these are the Bloods or the Crips or MS-13, would police give them that same respect or would they be treated a little differently? And that question opened the floodgates because my students jumped in saying that other gangs ha often have or often end up on their stomach, on the pavement, hands behind their back. And we were able to bring it back to the original comment that even in small town policing, there can very easily be a racial element at play with how different groups are policed. Yeah, I've got two examples of this. One of them was from grad school. When I was a teaching assistant in grad school, I witnessed a near shouting match in a lecture that I was part of. A white student stood up in a room that was probably out of 90 students in the class, probably 85 of them were students of color. And she claimed that her admission to a more prestigious university than ours had been taken by a black student due to affirmative action. The class overwhelmingly shouted her down. And the professor eventually just gave up trying to redirect the conversation. It got totally out of hand. But I doubt the white student learned anything. And I did use that experience as food for thought. You know, how would I redirect what was happening if that happened in my course? Because that was a lost learning opportunity for that student and probably the five or six other white students in that lecture hall of 90 people. And I came to the conclusion I probably would have asked the white student to come to office hours. And during office hours, I would have first validated her right to feel disappointed that she didn't get into that more prestigious university. But then I would have asked her for some evidence. You know, what evidence do you have that this is the truth? And then I would have shown her the evidence doesn't support what you're saying. And then I would have asked her to put herself in the shoes of her classmates of color and experience what it would have felt like to hear that one of you stole my spot. And hopefully I could have guided her to see that speaking out the way she did, when she did, where she did was not appropriate. It didn't do anything to fix the situation. But again, I can't be sure this would have worked. However, I did think of one other example where intro class – Okay, and we're going over gender. Always a fun topic to talk about, right? Gender. And this class, like many sociology classes, was about 65% female and about 35% male. But we had one man in the class who was probably around my age. So he was in his like late 40s, early 50s. And he was just pushing back on everything that was being told to him, you know, that this is not okay, that all of these things that men do are misogynist and they're sexist. And he's like, and he finally got so upset that he stood up and he said, no, you can't tell me that ladies don't like it when I open the door for them. And I said, that's not what this is about. And he was also a Latino man. So that probably had an additional cultural element. And I finally said, okay, ladies, would you like to explain this to him? And then I just stood back and he stood there and then he sat down kind of heavily and his mouth dropped open as woman after woman after woman in the class told him, this is what it means when I'm walking through a parking lot at night. This is why I have to keep my keys in my hand. This is why I never drink a drink unless I saw it being made. This is why, this is why, this is why. And he's going, but, 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 but. And he finally shut up because he had overwhelmingly the entire class, girls just taking turns, telling him what you think about the way women want things or what women want or how men are supposed to act. 
is toxic masculinity. It's wrong. It's not okay. And we're not going to put up with it. Do you have a daughter? Would you like her to be treated that way? And when he said, well, I don't see why she would have a problem with it. That's when things began to get so heated that I had to say, okay, folks, we've had plenty of time to talk about this. I think he's getting the message. Now let's let it sink in. Moving on. And we moved on. But I had lots of female students come up to me after class and send me emails saying thank you because I was getting so angry with what he was saying because he obviously didn't understand what we were supposed to be learning and he was really fighting it and we all needed him to learn. And that stuck with me too, that idea that we all needed him to learn. Many of the students in your class, when they're calling someone out, it isn't just because they're offended by what that student is saying. It's also because they feel a deep need for this person to learn better, to understand better, to realize, oh, what my grandfather told me actually isn't the right thing. It's not true. And that's sad because I loved my grandfather, but I do need to adjust my beliefs about this. So, yeah. So the way students can use this is I run my classes with very, very few rules. Typically, it's about three rules because I'm there to teach. I'm not there to be a referee. I'm not there to be a cop. But one of the things I'll do is I explain that some of the topics that they're going to learn in my class may go against things that they thought and that we may very well deal with controversial topics in the classroom because human society can be controversial. Crime is controversial. One of my very few rules is that students must respect one another. I tell my students at the beginning of each semester, I respect them as people, as adults, as students, and as young scholars, and that I expect them to respect one another. There's no ifs about it. They will demonstrate that respect. And I will offer my respect very willingly, and I only ask for it back. So it's less serious than expecting, but my students really abide by it because we're there to learn, we're there to work together. And that approach works if you're able to respect one another and see yourselves as teammates of sorts. And I wanna interject something here about the respect issue. There was a meme that went around a few years ago that said, some people think respect means treating me as a person. And some people think it means treating me as an authority. And sometimes when people in authority say, I'll respect you if you respect me, what they're saying is, I'll treat you as a person if you treat me as an authority. Teachers, we have to be really vigilant about this. What Denor said about, I only ask for your respect back, very, very important for people that we have authority over to let them know we are not going to act like a little emperor in the classroom. We're not going to demand respect because respect is earned and we have to earn it by our behavior too. Now, a couple of strategies that we're going to suggest here for teachers. One strategy is have a class meeting early in the term, especially if you anticipate that your course material might be controversial or triggering for some or all of your students. As Denor said, you know, a lot of the topics we teach go against things that our students have believed from the cradle, that they really were told this is the way good people think. And it's hard to hear that that's not so. And during this first class meeting, Ask for examples of times when things have gotten out of hand in their past courses. And what rules would they suggest for the entire class to use to make sure that conversations don't go beyond heated and intense to screaming matches? Then 
Post this derived list of rules where everyone can access them. Remind people of them at the beginnings of classes until people get used to knowing, okay, we're going to have the, the rules open in a Google Doc. And then make sure the entire class, including the instructor, abides by them. And also set some kind of penalty for not abiding by the rules. Do they lose credit for that day's discussion or lecture or assignment? Will they be asked to leave the room until they can pull, their self, pull themselves together? And make sure the entire class is on board with these rules. And another method is set up etiquette rules or, if you're online, netiquette rules for interaction. For example, in my online classes, I have this statement in my syllabus. It's basically a statement to the effect that getting disruptive in discussions or email or etc. will be penalized. And I define getting disruptive as things like being racist, being sexist, being homophobic, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, classist, ageist, ableist, all those things that you're not supposed to do, right? And then I also tell them, this is how you avoid it. You critique the idea, not the person putting the idea forward. So as Janor was saying, don't say you're stupid. Don't say you're an idiot. Don't say you're a dumbass. Say, okay, that idea does not work, and here's why, and provide evidence. And these could also be part of those rules that were derived by, you know, that were derived, let me try that again. And these could also be part of the rules derived by the students in the in-person class meeting as well. So think about that, because many students don't realize that saying something sexist is disruptive or that it is a hot button for folks and they need to be let know, yeah, you do actually have to be on your guard when you're talking about these sensitive topics because you've got to keep in mind there are people in this class who have been directly affected by racism, who have been directly affected by sexism, by ableism, by anti-Semitism, by homophobia. These are things you need to keep in mind. So that's what we have for you in episode 79. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 90 when we interview Megan O'Connor, entrepreneur in residence at Kaplan Test Prep. She'll be talking with us about the importance of experiential learning and how college students can actually get prepared for the modern workforce. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.